Next hour on most of these the same frequencies. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the program. Today we are going to talk about a rather serious topic: the future. This is cracking the code with Sadir Ispahani. In this episode, technology pioneer Jan Udenfeldt, the father of mobile communications. Now, I always thought it's important to be first right. because then, then you can win. If you're late to the table, it's hard. Dr. Udenfeldt joined Ericsson in 1978, starting with radio, but then to research and development of what would become GSM wireless technology. I kind of felt that this is the future <laughs> to work on wireless stuff because there's so many opportunities. If you, are, if you are wireless, you can do so much more than if you are tethered to a wire. His innovations brought the world GSM, 3G, 4G, and Bluetooth. No one believed that it was possible to make handheld phones. So that was a big struggle we had, but we did it. If you're listening to this podcast on a smartphone, you can thank Jan Udenfeldt. You know, I always like to innovate and take another step, but don't give up easily. I mean, we were very successful, but I, I couldn't feel that that was the end of the road anyway. We had to do, because then people started to talk about internet and, and, and high-speed data. And so we kind of invented 3G and felt that we have to have high-speed data communication, like at least the megabits. Now your guide for cracking the code, Sudhir Ispahani. Jan, uh, a pleasure to have you on uh, this show. It's been a privilege to get to know you, your reputation as one of the, uh, the world's leading technologists, inventors, and also a key uh, leader in the global conversation. Uh, I'm very privileged to have you here uh, today on the show. Thank you for joining us. Well, it's a great honor to be here, Sudhir, really. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a good initiative from your side, and I really like to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you very much. And uh, as you know, the show is partly about where the future of technology is going, mm -hmm. how leadership has evolved, mm -hmm. the disruptions in various elements of technology that you've seen, the innovation, the pace of innovation, and how things have really happened over the last 30, 40, 50 years. You've played a very, very crucial role in a lot of this, the evolution of this technology. And again, it's a, it's a humbling privilege for me to know you even and realize, uh, you know, that, uh, that you've been one of the key voices in this evolution of technology. So, so Jan, we're going to start a little bit with your background okay. for our, um, you know, uh, listeners out there. I want you to paint a little picture of how your childhood started, where it started, uh, how you got interested in technology, and how that brought you into the journey of where you are today. Okay, well, I'm, uh, I'm Swedish. I was brought up uh, in Stockholm. So, um, and then, uh, of course, um, I went into uh, technology, electrical engineering, and, uh, and I took my uh, master's and PhD and and so on and of course yeah how did it, did it all started why why did i uh, i guess i was interested in science early mm -hmm. on i mean it was fascinating to to uh, read about how all these inventions and what people have done in the past so you know and then um then i realized that of course something that really drove me into this field i guess was what you could do with mathematics it, right. that's, that's fascinating. I mean, you could write models and you can do things and you can. So that I think that that made me 
go into this uh, high tech or it wasn't high tech at that year it was electrical engineering that that's really what it was did your parents have a big influence on helping you decide early on when you were a child not so much i think my parents were very uh, good they 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 won't you know they, they didn't push me into any corner or didn't really tell me what to do or anything like that they 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 it was very um, good um, brought up in that way that I could do what I felt was good for me. And was there a moment in time when you thought, okay, you know, I really love mathematics, I love science, you know? I mean, was that was there a time somewhere between your high school and, and uh, the time you went to college that said, I really want to pursue this uh, Right, it must, have been, it must have been during... Um, uh, yeah, during um, what do you call it, high school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, must have been high school, I think. Then, then got more uh, more advanced, and then you had to make decisions, right? Yes. Yeah, you you know you have to decide what to do. So then you got more interested, and I I think I kind of it's it's always hard to remember exactly what what drove you, but I mean it's it's not that complicated. It's just to be able to create and do things. That's that's what technology is, and everything else kind of boring a little yes. bit. So I guess that that's also part of it. And then so um, so then after college, what happened? Did you uh, did you walk into uh, just a predetermined job or did you? Well, I was yeah, I was doing that. But then my um, when I did my master's thesis and the professor, he wanted me to continue and, and do my Ph.D. Right. And I thought, well, that's not so good. They cannot earn any money. But then I, <laughs> I, I, I did it, and I never regretted that because I learned so much. Mm-hmm. And basically all of that things I, I learned when I did my PhD, I have been able to use in, in, in practical life. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing. And you must have had a very good professor. who. Yeah, he was really that. good. He was a good professor, Setterberg. He was a good guy. How did you end up at Ericsson? And what, what really happened there? How did that journey evolve for you? Yeah, I came into, um, well, you, you know, once after I did my PhD, then of course I had to find a job and there were, there were different opportunities, but I, I definitely um, liked that thing about radio. Mm-hmm. Because so I came into the radio division at Ericsson, which was very small. It was like 2% of Ericsson at that time. Right. Virtually, this was 78. So it was before mobile phones were on the market. I mean, it came not that many years later, but there was nothing out there. And uh, so um, that was a very small division, but they had skillful people and it was great fun. And I kind of felt that this is the future <laughs> to work on wireless stuff because uh, there's so many opportunities. If you are, if you are wireless, uh, you can do so much more than if you are, are tethered to a, to, a, to a wire. So clearly you've, uh, you've played a very significant role, Jan, in the evolution of of um, radio and what today we know as the world of wireless. So uh, walk us through that journey a little bit, you know, and how that came to be and, uh, you know, how you ended up uh, being at the crux of that innovation in the early days of uh, GPRS and 2G. Yeah, I think it all, yeah. So those things, when I started there in the late 70s and then in the early 80s it was about analog cellular so it started with analog technology but my task was basically on the research side so i was kind of uh and i very soon started to work with what became digital so basically 
built up a team doing uh, digital cellular or digital wireless technology. Mm -hmm. So basically, that's that's what I did, and that uh, that team and that technology was then later chosen by the GSM standard to to mm -hmm. uh, to be used. Mm -hmm. So so that was extremely important. We had. Uh, we had a, what we call a TDMA technology that, that became e enormously successful. And uh, of course, it was very complicated at the time. We, we needed everything that one could uh, dream of when, when it comes to signal processing and, and, and all of these things. So voice coders and modulation and, and everything like that that you could just dream about. And we still needed all of it. So, so that's when I needed everything I have learned. And that was very good. And, and we, we had a fantastic team. and, and uh, and then, of course, uh, Europe decided to, uh, to make a, a joint system all over Europe, uh, the GSM. And that, that really drove the market in a, in a fantastic way. So, and that was so much better than the analog stuff, but it was complicated and we had to really invent a lot of things. No one believed in, in that it was possible to make uh, handheld phones. Mm -hmm. so, so that was a big struggle we had, but we did it. And, and, and that was major reason for why it became so um, so successful mm -hmm. so that was voice you know that but gsm was only voice so uh, right. so kind of um then uh, you know i always like to innovate and take another step but don't give up easily i mean we were very successful but i i couldn't feel that that was the end of the road anyway we had to do uh because then people started to talk about internet and 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 high-speed data and so we kind of invented 3g and and mm -hmm. felt that we have to have high-speed data communication, like at least a megabit, something like that. It was high-speed at then, in those <laughs> days, because, you know, with uh, 2G or GSM, we only have like 10 or 20 kilobits. So to, to make a megabit was kind of dramatic. So what was the time around, uh, what year was it when you were thinking, well, you know, we've got to evolve 2G GSM yeah. into 3G. Yeah, that was about sense. 93, 94. Yeah. So GSM started maybe '91, and then, then you know, it takes a while to develop things. Also, so so we realized we better start early to be first. I mm -hmm. mean, I always thought it's important to be first, yeah, yeah, right. because then, then you can win. If you are if you're late to the table, it's hard. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, it started like '93, '94. We had a test system in '95. We, the 3G standard was done in '98, I think, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was basically during the 90s, and it was launched early 2000-something. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And under your leadership at um, Ericsson, Ericsson today is a, is a global technology leader. Yes, it is. But, uh, yeah. you know, you, you played a very key role in... Yeah, we're putting it on the uh, on the roadmap, and we how? became very uh, successful in yeah. the in the in the, the in the mobile space. That's for sure, and uh, and all these technologies we invented, like GSM, 3G, became very successful, and and we did a lot of other inventions, Bluetooth, yeah. uh, even these these uh, cordless phones, yes. the digital cordless phones. They are still around. Yes, uh, it's amazing. Yes. So so we did a lot of these things. So so we were absolutely driving this. We had a good we had good people and and uh, and we were having good had a good leadership team that could take risks mm -hmm. and for uh, for a technologist like like me that was great we got money we could drive new things we could do one thing and then uh, we can start another one you yes. know like 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 doing multiple things and uh, 
it was growing like uh, very well. And uh, yeah, so Ericsson became an absolutely global leader that was um, amazing. Share with uh, for our audience here a little bit about, you know, you're, you're very modest when you talk about your accomplishments, the little, little okay. I know about you. But I do know that you were uh, recently uh, bestowed and endowed with one of many industry awards, but one of the most prestigious one, the Marconi Award. And tell us a little bit about... Yes, you know, well, uh, that's... Um, yeah, I got many prizes, that's right. And, and one is a, what is called a wireless... Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's called a wireless Hall of Fame. So that's really the American association that is uh, appointing uh, the Hall of Famers. And, and that's, of course, I... I one of the best things I, I, I got, I think, is very few people uh, in the industry that really have it. And, and so, um, I mean, I'm very proud for that and, and being uh, acknowledged uh, for, for, for those. Uh, it's mainly things. given to people who've done a lot of innovation and yeah. driven a lot of pioneers. Pioneering yeah. Early work. pioneers, they are pioneers, Motorola, Qualcomm, yeah. and then there are carrier, carrier people, of course, yeah. Moving on to talking a little bit about leadership, you briefly touched yeah, on this. Yeah. And, you know, you, you yourself are a great, great leader, but what, when did you first realize that you were going to st start getting thrust into becoming a leader? And yeah. did you like that role? And how did you evolve into it? That's a good question. I think in my case, it was, um, I think it really was that I, I, I I felt that this digital mobile communication was something that I could do something really great at and had a, had a large, great vision and do things. And then, then you need to be a leader, right? Then you need people. You cannot do it alone. Then you need people. <laughs> be before that, I did, did my PhD and stuff like that. I had to do a lot of difficult things, but I didn't, didn't have to be a leader. Right. So I guess I kind of, um, that was just when I, when I needed to, to be a leader, I, I kind of became a leader because I was driven by this vision. And you talked a little bit about people being, you know, you had some great people when you when you were a leader in uh, building these these technologies. You know, what would you say would be a, uh, your defining style of leadership? I think my my style of leadership is basically to uh, to innovate. Yes to do new things, basically. I don't think I'm the best manager around. I don't think I can say that at all. I think, but I, I, I think what I can do is to do new things and, and drive new things and make them happen and set up great teams with very competent people. That's, mm -hmm. that's what you need. You don't need thousands of people, actually. You, you, you need, but you need very clever people. Right. And, and I think that, I can, uh, that is what I've been, what I've been trying to, uh, to drive. And of course, you know, another side of it is that um, I'm not giving up easily either. I mean, I, I, I think you, you, you mustn't just be pleased with what you have done. You should take further steps and, 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 and uh, don't, uh, don't say, oh, that's it. And then you don't do anything more. I mean, there will come new competition. They will, they will, they will catch up with you. So you have, to, you have to be ahead. You have to be ahead all the time. That, I guess, has been driving me. And then these, these things, if you are visionary leader, people tend to, to come to you and they, 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 they like to work with you, even though you may not have the best skills to be a manager. You've seen a lot of leadership <laughs> yes. with a few gray hairs you have, yes. that I noticed. But uh, how do you see the, the world of leadership evolving? 
now I'm based in Silicon Valley since yeah. 10 years. And I mean, it's, it's amazing if you compare European leaders with Silicon Valley leaders. I mm. mean, European leaders are normally business people. Silicon Valley leaders are, are a little bit like half crazy people. <laughs> uh, they are a mix of technology and business people and they are driven by some, some vision and they are, they are doing not crazy things, but they are doing things that, that, that few can really dream of. And, and, uh, and uh, I think um, that seems to continue to be the case. Those people pop up all the time. I mean, the, the companies we have seen the last 10 years, like Google, Facebook, and, and so on, to, to really be large companies, Netflix, and, and so on, they, they all, all are like that, I think. Yes. They have very visionary leaders. And do you see a, a huge change in the way um, leadership is being practiced with the next generation of millennial and Gen Z leaders? What do you see as, as you look through your lens over the next five years? Well, I think from the leader perspective, of course, it's a very different world we live in today because every, almost everything today is software. Right. So, and that means a couple of things. One, you can really do things very fast. Yeah. You can, you can really make new products for the market and you come out, can come out very fast. You can also, also fail fast. I mean, you can discover pretty soon that this is not going to be so important. We better get rid of it. Mm -hmm. But if you have like hardware, it takes like five years. Right. And, and it's very expensive and, 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 uh, and you need a lot of patience and, and you need bigger teams and, and, and don't give up easily. And now it's very different. You can be software and you can, you can try. If it doesn't work, you try something else. And, right. uh, so that, I think, is a very different uh, way of uh, doing the work and innovate and, and develop products. Right. Coming back to you're, a, you're still a very active conversation in the world of innovation. So um, tell us a little bit about where the future of technology is going. Okay, well, well, especially when it comes to wireless, you I know, think it's so amazing. much has changed, yeah. right? So, but it's amazing, isn't it? The, the way that this technology is, is always, um, is I mean, the continuing with this exponential growth, yes. I mean, what we see now with AI and AR and VR and those things, I mean, th those things you really couldn't do five or ten years ago, really, absolutely. Mm. So, yeah. so this is just the exponential growth that, that makes all this happen. And, in the wireless space, I mean, 5G is now just around the corner. Mm -hmm. I think 5G will be very uh, important because then you can really do all of these things. You can have, you don't have to be tethered to the wall when you do VR. I mean, you can move around and, and, and you probably you need to have more like, like mixed reality, not just virtual reality, because then you bump into things. But, mm -hmm. but you know, still you can do a lot of these things and AI need a lot of bandwidth really to to um to assemble all the data and all of that so i you know mm -hmm. autonomous driving is a good example of that it's it it needs data it needs data to be to be good mm -hmm. i think um it will of course i mean all these bandwidth you can always ask whether you need it or not but history proves it's very simple you, you need it we invented 3g for for high-speed data internet and that but for video it was not it was not enough right for, for video 4G uh, turned out to be a very good solution, not a perfect solution, but you can at least, you know, you can watch YouTube and you can watch things. I mean, even people are are even lo looking at um, movies, of course, which I think is a little bit uh, 
maybe not so smart. But anyway, I mean, <laughs> high quality with, with 5G, you can get so much uh, high quality and, and all of that. So I, I think it definitely um, it's going to continue and in, a, in a very high pace. But AI is a new dimension in all of this, I think. That, mm -hmm. uh, that is, uh, it's always been there, but it's not been possible to utilize it in a way that one can do now. And, and, and uh, I think IoT is the other thing. Even, even, I mean, you can say that a car is a, is a thing, but even these small things, sensors and all of that, all these 50 billion devices, yeah. that's the other thing that also really will happen uh, and has started to happen. A very low, uh, low cost, but wireless uh, devices and easy to install, and they maybe have a lifetime of five or 10 years, something mm -hmm. like that. So you just put it somewhere and then you forget about it and it goes away uh, eventually. So, so I think that's the other thing. So how do you see a lot of these new innovations really affecting our, our life from a reality perspective? Yeah, I mean, there are many dimensions, of course, but uh, obviously there are a lot of things if you have, um, if uh, all the devices around you are, are, uh, can communicate and they, are, uh, the, uh, they can handle them, the, themselves, of course, it will add a lot of value to, uh, to you as a, as a human being. Uh, and and uh, I mean cars is one example, but also all these sensors that they, mm -hmm. they just can they just can help you with. Uh, you can you can easily do everything you want. You can have these these uh, 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 alarms, and you can have uh, things that is uh, in your garden. You can do. You, there are so many things you can do with that that is helping you all the time. So I th I think it's. Um, going to be natural then of course there will be uh robots and, mm -hmm. and and that's the other dimension of all of these people are going to be very afraid about robots and they will take away jobs yeah they will mm -hmm. and and we know that but with what we don't know is how many new jobs that will be created instead of that because that's really the danger if if people don't have anything to do and don't have any income then we're going to have a terrible world probably so so that's the one we have to watch out with i think so it's funny um, if you look at how labor pools can get desegregated. There was a lot of concern, if you remember, uh, Jan, when Uber came on, that the yeah, world of yeah. taxis will go away, and and you know all that labor pool will get desegregated. Yeah, you speak to a lot of CEOs and spend a lot of time in boardrooms, and mm -hmm. you know this is a concern many leaders have on how to retrain their employees and the people around them yeah. for the world ahead and prepare them for this new mm. sets of innovation that are coming. Do you have a view on that? Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's very important mentally that people are prepared, mm -hmm. prepared for change. Yeah. I mean, when I grew up, it was kind of, uh, Sweden always been, for many, many years, they were like uh, governed by social democrats who are like half communists, and, and <laughs> but they were, so they always had that, that thing about um, uh, security, job security, was one of their really Job for life. Job for life, yeah, exactly. So that's what, yeah, what I was brought up with. But if people are brought up with that today, they, they, that's gonna be very, that's very dangerous. I mean, that's not the way it works. Mm -hmm. So you have to be pre prepared for change and mentally, and of course, you have to be prepared to uh, retrain and, and a lot of these things. It's uh, that's the important thing, I think, to, to be mentally prepared mm -hmm. for yeah. change. It will happen. It is happening all the time. There is there is no way around it. Coming back to to leadership and um, 
you've had phenomenal amount of decades of experience. So yeah. what are some of the things you would say you would not do as a leader? <laughs> not do. Well, not do. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's important that you delegate. You, you, you have to have teams and teams have to feel responsible. If you try to do everything yourself, uh, it will destroy a lot. So, so I don't know how much I did that or how much I did delegate, but I mean, that's <laughs> at least one thing you have to, you have to think about, I, I, I believe. And uh, uh, I mean, also um, to motivate people and to, to stimulate them. I think sometimes as a leader, you might shout at them and say, that's wrong, don't do that. And, and that's unavoidable. You, you, I think you, as a leader, you do that because you get frustrated, but people are not doing the right thing. Right. But it destroys things also. So, I mean, I would, I would say maybe I did that a little bit too much. But on the other hand, I think people are then at least trying to shape up. But I mean, it's, it's, it's important um, to, uh, to have, have people around you that are really stimulated. I mean, we see today, for instance, Tesla have a little bit of that syndrome that, that they have a leader that is a little bit too tough on them. Yeah, and they and they and they leave the company or they get frustrated. And I mean, you you have to be careful about those things. You can you can still uh, you don't get the best out of people. Right. If you shout too much at them, shout a little bit, you can do, but not too much. <laughs> not too That's much. so true, you know. So how did I share a little bit about some of the foundational values and morals that you just naturally practiced in your leadership style? Yeah, that's a good one. I mean. I think it's uh, it's very important what you convey as a leader and what you stand for. And in my case, I guess uh, it's been a lot of to drive innovation and to be uh, have visions. Mm -hmm. That that has been very very important. And I and I think it's of course different for all for all people what they what kind of leader they 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 really are. And I I think it's also important to at least for me, I mean, even though you are successful, you cannot just lay back and say that's that's it. And, and because I think it's important, at least for me, to also convey a message that you are not content. We have to drive for continued uh, success and uh, do do more innovations because you know that uh, other people will catch up with you. There's there's no way you can hide and just believe you're gonna be gonna be successful forever. So. Uh, those things I think I stand for a lot. How do you define success? You've been a very, very successful okay. individual, a technologist, a leader, success a person. Well, to me, it's not successful until it's really in the market and it's being uh, successful in the market. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. I mean, then it's even though you can feel that ah, this was a great project, we did deliver what we said we we're going to do and and you feel that we've done everything we could and it was perfect and everything that but that's not really success success is when it's being picked up by the market and it starts to generate uh, revenues mm -hmm. and profitability but normally profit comes a little bit later so i think just to have a ge revenue generator is um, is what i would say that's success yeah so what um, what would you say today uh, is uh, i'm sure you you continue to spend a lot of time developing knowledge yeah and uh reading and stuff what are some of the latest books you're reading yeah i'm reading this book um it's, it's about the uh, evolution of mankind I, I think it's called sapiens 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 mm -hmm. 
he has a short name and I forgot the name of the author. Uh, it's an I. It's an um, Israeli guy. Mm. Harari, something like that. It's a really good book. It 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 explains this evolution with with the farming and industrial and and uh, and IT. And that's basically all that happened, those, those three things. And it explains it in a very good way. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's all that happened. Yeah. Basically, that's what he says. And I, I agree with him. Anyway, it's a good book. And, uh, and of course, it's worthwhile to read. For young people, yeah, you can, I mean, of course, young people are more action oriented. So they, they don't need to have the perspective all the time, although it's, uh, it's always useful. Mm -hmm. There's so much going on in the world uh, around us right now, and of course you are uh, you're very privileged, and so am I, and to be uh, around in Silicon Valley and yeah. and have access to the best of the brightest, and that's true. Like you said, sometimes half crazy people, yes. you know, <laughs> but uh, you know it it drives an interesting ecosystem for innovation. But what do you think some of those challenges are that? we're also facing because you know there's always two sides to a coin oh you mean silicon valley yeah silicon valley um, of course is very successful and and it's it's uh, dramatically improving all the time um the problem in silicon valley is maybe to have services i mean or for ordinary people to continue to um, be able to, to to live here like like teachers and people like that that don't earn a fortune they they don't know where to live and, and they, they cannot afford it. I think that's the problem actually we have. Yeah, okay. it's really displacing a lot of people who are non-tech. Yeah, you know? yeah that's, that is a problem. And I think it's, it's good to read that people are engaged in trying to solve it. Whether it will be solved or not, I don't know. America is not always so good in solving those um, social things because there is no central point that can decide. Like in China, you have the government that decides everything. So it, it just pours down. But in America, that's not always the case. There's, there's no really good decision maker that can just take care of the problem and solve it. Right, right. But I think that is a real problem we have here. Other than that, yeah, I mean, of course, people are, are having a good time. And, and uh, I think, of course, there are, we, there are always regulators that are trying to, <coughs> to um, go in, in other directions. We read this morning about uh, Europe and the fine for, for, for Google to, uh, yes. to uh, making Android free, which yes. is a little bit, you, you can discuss those things. I mean, I, I think it's a little <laughs> bit strange, yeah. actually. Yeah. But there, there are threats, of course, other threats that our, our Silicon Valley will, will, uh, will face or are facing. Which is going to become, could become reality too in some cases, yes. Yeah, yeah. So you've been a pioneering leader in the world of wireless. So we're now up to 5G. Yes, now it's 5G. <laughs> Did you ever think when you were looking at 2G and 3G that you'd be looking at 5G <laughs> 20 years later? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. I thought I was going to be retired. <laughs> but it's great fun to work with technology, so I cannot help doing it then. When things are happening all the time, it's it's really hard to to um, to stay away. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. no, I don't think so. I mean, I I thought maybe four G would be it, you know. And uh, but five G, we haven't seen it yet, though. So it's um, the success is uh, is is unknown at this time. Yeah. But I think um, it's good to um, see that there is more bandwidth and. Uh, uh, there is also more spectrum efficiency and, and uh, there will be new applications for, for 5G and those things are 
are yet to be seen, but it's, it's about to happen in the next couple of years. So how do you see that innovation evolving over the next five years? Do you see 5G? There's obviously much higher bandwidth. Uh, I don't know what the real numbers today are, but you know, there's some, some quantum of numbers that are going to keep growing. Yeah. Do you see eventually a 6, 7G? Look at these, yeah. these uh, developments, you know, and you've been, by the way, a very active voice in the world of standards, too. That's true. So maybe you can talk a little bit about both of those. Of course, 5G is, is like uh, a 10x more, 10x better than, than, uh, than 4G. And, and uh, then you can do a lot of these things we talked about previously, like uh, high-quality video, like 4K, but also things like uh, VR and, 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 and those things. So I think that uh, that matters a lot. You can have high high quality video, and of course you can. It's very helpful for all the AI stuff as well, which is a lot of bandwidth actually. Mm -hmm. you get a lot of bandwidth for that. So I think I think that is happening. We we also see uh, that wireless that can be more for the residential, so it can be wireless to the home. I mean, so so people will unplug their current cable broadband. Yeah, at, at least there can be competition to companies like uh, like Comcast. That's what we see now. Uh, Verizon they have uh, launched the uh, the five G uh, wireless to the home, and, mm -hmm. and of course it's very competitive. You can get like uh, like multi gigabit per second, so it is very very competitive, and it's cheaper of course than to do. Uh, cable uh, or, or fiber for that matter. I think that's the thing because in the past you had DSL. DSL was okay up to maybe 50 megabits, something like that, or maybe a little bit more, but roughly speaking. And uh, at that time, uh, wireless could only replace that, but not really do anything superior. But now, I mean, wireless is so superior to anything except fiber. Yes. And fiber is very costly. Right. I think everyone experiences that f to, to, to dig fiber and to get fiber out to people is very expensive. Right. So there is a really good space for uh, wireless to the home. And do you see companies that own a lot of fiber assets? Clearly, will, you'll need that fiber to backhaul this. Yeah, the backhaul, yeah, the fiber will still be needed. That's right. I mean, from the base station backwards, so to speak. <laughs> Inwards to to the network, it it is um, it's going to be fiber, a lot of fiber. Yeah. But you clearly see uh, 5G eventually getting to five gigs or some some number like that. that yeah, I mean it's sense. it's 10 gigabit already. It's yeah. 10 gigabits already. So I mean that that is that's where it is. Yeah. yeah. And then it will it will continue to um, to go from there. But I mean that's where it is right now. How do standards play in all of this? You know, clearly, it's still, you know, it's still a very, very strong force that that there is uh, that there are standards. People can can develop products. Uh, many companies can can develop products, and and they get very high 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 volume, and they get because there's a lot of uh, development costs. The R and D cost is very high, but you know you get money back if you if you are successful in the market. But then then uh, the standards are very, very important. Otherwise, it would be too fragmented. And the economics would not play out. No, right, 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 exactly. So how do you see the smartphone evolution keeping up with the wireless technology? Do you have a view on that as 5G becomes mainstream? Because, you know, smartphones are also having trouble with compute power, battery life, all of that. Yeah, yeah I mean, of course, um, you're right that... Uh, um, Smartphones, of course, I mean, the current smartphones, they will continue in, in a similar way with, with 5G and there will be higher bandwidth. 
And uh, some of the things that are important when it comes to um, the uh, smartphones is, for instance, uh, display. They take a lot of power. Mm -hmm. uh, so that should be, and there are a lot of inventions uh, going on now with, with things like uh, uh, micro LEDs yeah. that are re uh, reducing uh, the power uh, dramatically when it comes to the display technology. So I think there will be other inventions as well, not only 5G itself, because 5G uh, will be uh, generating more bandwidth, but, but also lower, lower power. But I think there, there is a need also for other technologies to, uh, to play in. And it will it will continue to be a very important uh, thing for for everyone going mm -hmm. forward, of course. Well, it's uh, it's fascinating for uh, yeah. and and also I think all of us are very privileged as technologists to be living in this time, yes. seeing all this unique innovation. As as we start to unwind, uh, I want to ask a few questions that mm. are more personal yeah. to to all of us, and you know. So Jan, what what keeps you focused every day? Yeah, I mean, I cannot avoid that. <clears throat> it is great fun to learn new things, and yeah. to uh, this technology field is really inventing new things all the time. And uh, and to be just part of that innovation system, sometimes invent yourself, but also sometimes just learn from others. It is fascinating. It is. It still is. And otherwise, I would have been retired by now but that's great fun <laughs> yeah well it's it's a very a very nice concise answer you know so um you know how do you define a good successful day for you yeah i mean it's very important for me to also have some to be able to relax and so on i mean you should not uh, i'm trying to play some golf and be out you know in the sun and you know, just enjoying life also. Uh, I think that you, you need a mix a of balance. those things. Yeah, you need a mix of those things. I've been working very hard for <clears throat> many, many years during my life, and then you didn't really always do that. And, and I think it's extremely important to, to have this, this mix. And, I'm, and I, I don't have to be the big leader doing everything myself. I can be an advisor. I can work with other people, mm. helping them to solve, solve the problem and, and, and do things. So. I, that's, uh, you know, uh, so mentally for me, it's a little bit different. Uh, uh, norm the, the normal day today is a little bit different than it was um, uh, 10 or 10 years ago, so to speak. But, uh, mm -hmm. but I probably work like uh, 60, 70 percent. Yeah. Right. But that, that, that makes you, um, I think you are more, uh, um, if you're not overloaded with, uh, with tasks, it's actually easier to also be, um, to solve problems and to and to come up with ideas uh, because you, your your brain works anyway so to speak so why is giving back important to you because as a leader you've given to uh, to a lot of people and you continue to do so you you spend a lot of time with young entrepreneurs and leaders here in silicon valley yeah giving back is of course um, i mean the main thing for me to give give back is for next generation to be able to learn from our generation yeah. I mean, they will have a lot of things that they will do anyway that they don't have to learn from us. But uh, there are things we can we can give back. Mm -hmm. There are things, and they it's good for them to have some perspective on things. And sometimes it can help them not to do the same mistakes uh, that they m might. Uh, it helps them to not make the mistakes they if they might do otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I, I I think it's important to to give back and and uh, and make sure that that. Uh, 
people know, learn a little, little bit from, from, from what we have done, both our successes and, and some of our uh, failures. It's very uh, fascinating to watch uh, what's happening around us, but at the same time, the amount of experience you bring. And I think Silicon Valley is very unique. We have a lot of young entrepreneurs. Silicon Valley is unique, I think. And, and, you, and of course, this is a um, place where it is in, in a natural way you give back because people get rich and they get into some kind of angel investment or they have go into VC and they, they kind of... There is a very natural way to give back then because the, the money talks, so to speak. And, mm -hmm. and, and uh, so that's a very, very, very powerful way. I don't think that necessarily works so much in other places in the world because um, there is less money to, to in the feedback system from VC or angels. So that's part of, the, part of the secret of the success of Silicon Valley, I think, that it, it works automatically, this, uh, this uh, give back. One last question for you, and uh, I, I do agree with you, by the way, and I think the entire ecosystem here in Silicon Valley feeds itself very well mm. as a result of what you just said, because when people become successful here, they actually turn around and mm. say, I'm going to reinvest back my time, my money, yeah. back as an angel investor or whatever it is. Yeah. So, so one last question for you. How do you want to have people remember you by? Well, sometimes I, I feel like, um, like I am the father of digital mobile communication. I mean, like GSM 3G really was the founding steps for, yeah, for, for digital mobile communication. So, of course, uh, I feel, now I feel uh, getting a little bit older, I feel that maybe that's what I am or was or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. Yeah. You are, and people refer to you very, uh, very endearingly that way in the world of wireless and in the world of technology. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Happy so, Jan, thank you again for joining me on the show. Thank you, Sudhir. This was a great know, pleasure. Yes, and I uh, look forward to many more opportunities yeah. again yeah. to interact with you and spend time with you.